Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Last week on the podcast, I talked about what it means to be a natural-born leader. And I described that process and some of the challenges that natural-born leaders face in attempting to be effective Christian leaders. Now today, I want to take sort of the opposite approach to that and talk about a phrase that is uh, much more commonly used to describe Christian leaders, and that is, I want to talk about servant leadership. Now, servant leadership is a phrase that's been used since at least the 1960s, uh, popularized by a popular uh, book by that same title, and it's really come to encapsulate a lot of what people mean when they say Christian leader. In fact, Christian leader, servant leader are often used synonymously. I don't really have a problem with that as long as we understand what servant leadership really is, uh, what are its defining qualities, and particularly what makes it uh, a unique expression or a unique description of true Christian leadership. So my first introduction to the concept of of servant leadership started in a seminary classroom many years ago. I was listening to a professor lecturing on servant leadership as the truest form of leadership. He was describing it as the purest form of Christian leadership. And as I was listening to him, I thought, so far, so good. But as he described what he meant by servant leadership, his concept seemed out of kilter with modern uh, church and ministry organizational leadership opportunities and challenges. The more I listened to him, the more I doubted that what he was saying really captured the essence of servant leadership. In summary, my professor said that day that servant leaders were people who involved themselves in direct ministry, who worked behind the scenes, who did what we might call the dirty work. He felt that servant leaders were self-effacing, pastoral leaders who visited the sick, cared for the poor, preached the gospel, made disciples, generally sacrificing themselves for the good of others. And again, no problem with any of those examples. But my question that he never really addressed was this. Are those the only legitimate expressions of servant leadership? While I was sitting in that classroom that day, my mind wandered uh, from the classroom to the office at the end of the hall. And that particular seminary, the president's office, was at the end of the same building that housed a significant number of the classrooms. I thought about the seminary president sitting down the hall from where I was sitting. He had an impressive office, multiple support staff members, several vice presidents to carry out his initiatives, and leadership responsibilities that frankly required delegating most of the hands-on operations of the school to others. So I thought about that guy, and I thought, is it possible for the seminary president to be a servant leader? Now, given the model that I was hearing taught in class, the answer was no. But that didn't seem to make sense to me. How could a person who was supposed to personify Christian leadership not also be a servant leader if his servant leadership was defined only by the tasks that he did. Little did I know uh, back in those days that someday I would be sitting in the end of the hall in that, in that office as president, and I would not only be 
challenged to teach others about servant leadership, but I would be challenged to learn how to do it uh, in my context. So for me, the answer ultimately is yes. Seminary presidents, like all Christian leaders, can be, and in fact must be, servant leaders. Now that of course means that service is a component of what I do, just as it's a component of what all leaders do. But let's be real. As a seminary president, uh, most of what I do is done through the hands of others. Um, I lead a large organization with a lot of employees. Uh, we work hard to distribute the workload throughout the organization and make sure everything gets done by the appropriate person, and I don't do much of what might be considered the servant work of the seminary. But yet, how is it in that context I can still be known as a servant leader? I've come to conclude over the years that the essence of servant leadership, unlike what my professor said many years ago, the essence of servant leadership is not the actions taken, but the motive and attitude driving those actions. The essence of servant leadership, then, is not the actions taken. It's the motive and the attitude of the person who's doing those actions. Now, this seems to be at the heart of Jesus' teachings on servant leadership. As you know here on the podcast, I try to stay away from too much preaching and even too much teaching from the Bible, but uh, not that I don't value those things. It's just that's not really what this podcast is about. But today, in order to get to the uh, understanding that we need about what, really, what servant leadership really is, I want us to look at some passages of Scripture together. The first one is Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 30. The Bible says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, meaning Jesus, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question of Jesus to test him. Teacher, which command is the, in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus was clear about the greatest commandment, love God. The second, and the context indicates it was a close second, is serve people. Love God, serve people is a good recipe for leadership effectiveness. In fact, as I've said, uh, love God, serve people is a great bumper sticker summarizing Christian leadership and I think summarizing servant leadership. The first commandment addresses a leader's motive, integrity, and ultimate evaluator or ultimate object of our service and devotion, that being God himself. And the second commandment addresses the attitude and motive and who benefits in the leadership relationship. Love, attitude, and motive, God. Serve, attitude, and motive, people. So this passage of Scripture, love God, serve people, is a great summarizing statement or a great passage which produces a summarizing statement about servant leadership. Now let's look at another passage. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, is a very important passage because in it, James and John, uh, the protagonists, if you will, reveal some confusion that is still common to Christian leaders today. 
James and John were struggling with understanding Jesus' radical message about relationships in contrast to their uh, culturally ingrained understanding of leadership. In short, James and John were struggling with ambition, which is the foundational motive and attitude for many leaders in secular settings. So Jesus, in this passage I'm about to read, bluntly contrasts Christian leadership with worldly leadership. And he shows us that they're not only the same concept, they are actually polar opposites. Listen to what the Bible says. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. (laughs) Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those to whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This passage contrasts secular leadership styles and secular leadership motives with Christian or spiritual or, in this context, servant leadership. James and John said, Hey, will you put us in charge of something? Come on, Jesus. When you come into your kingdom, will you let us sit at your right and at your left? Give us the power. Give us the authority. Give us the capacity to make something happen. And Jesus, we will do everything that you say. Jesus said, Fellas, you're, you're missing the point. That, that's how secularists Think of leadership. Give me the power, and I'll make something happen. Jesus said, in contrast to that, here's what leadership really looks like. Leadership looks like serving other people. In fact, serving them to the point that you even become their slaves. You subject yourself and you subjugate yourself, your own whims, your own desires, your own pleasures, your own authority. You put all that aside so that you can meet the needs of other people. Jesus contrasts secular leadership and spiritual leadership, worldly leadership and Christian leadership, leadership that focuses on amassing power and leadership that focuses on extending service. Servant leadership then is at the core of what it means to be a Christian leader. Now, Jesus also uh, underscored this again in another passage that he dealt with related to Peter. 
This is in John chapter 13, 1 through 11. The Bible says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands so that he had, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you'll understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> he wanted the whole bath. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. This passage has <clears throat> many layers of meaning and insight. First of all, Jesus was able to do the foot washing experience with his disciples because he was secure in who he was, his position as a leader, and the authority that had been given him by God. Did you catch that? It says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took the towel, tied it around himself, poured water in a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. There is a direct connection in this passage between Jesus being secure in who he was, the position that he'd been given, and the authority he had received from God, and his capacity to then express that by serving his disciples and washing their feet. This is one of the great um, uh, paradoxes of what it means to be a Christian leader. You don't have to set aside your power and your authority to be a servant. In fact, the more you are comfortable with the power and authority that God has given you, and the less you have to try to prove to people that you have that, the more comfortable you are with it, the more freed you are for acts of service. Now, another interesting part of this story was, of course, Peter's response. He said to Jesus, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, well, then I, I guess you don't have any part of me. In other words, you're not one of mine if I can't do this for you. Peter, of course, then replied, well, then wash me all over. And Jesus made the point that really wasn't what this experience was about. Peter was not objecting to having his feet washed. He was objecting to having his feet washed by Jesus. Peter had his feet washed many times, no doubt, as he entered homes and was served by various servants over the years. He had been the recipient of many foot washings from lower-level servants. Having his feet washed wasn't the problem. Peter objected because it was Jesus washing his feet. Peter objected to the person performing the task, 
not the task. He objected to the leader demonstrating an attitude of service, not the attitude, the act of service being extended. Peter simply couldn't abide by his leader abasing himself in this way. Now, this reveals so much about the importance of attitude in servant leadership. It's not just the actions. Peter didn't mind having his feet washed. What was so difficult for him was who was doing the foot washing. Jesus had an attitude of security and of peace and of grace and of rest in the authority that he'd been given. And because of that, he was able to freely serve. Peter, though, struggled with that paradox. Well, this is revealed even more fully in one more passage of Scripture. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, is described this way. The Bible says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, I find that a very significant word choice. Adopt the same attitude. In other words, Paul is writing and saying, when it comes to being like Jesus, the attitude, the motive, the driver, the essence of who he was is what you need to adopt, not necessarily the specific actions that he did. Now listen to what the Bible says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul wrote, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude? An, attitude? an attitude of humility that caused him, even though he existed in the form of God, to not cling to that position or that role or, that, or those privileges, but instead to set them aside to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In other words, Jesus had this attitude, this motive. I will use my power and my position. I will use the privilege that's been extended to me as the Son of God. I'm the only one in the universe who can do this, and I will set all of that aside and become obedient unto death, even death on a cross, to fulfill God's plan for redeeming people to himself for all time. This is the essence of servant leadership. It is not denying the position the power, the authority, the privilege that you've been given. It is instead using all of that for the benefit of others. This unlocked for me what it means to be a servant leader, particularly as I've come into my present role at Gateway Seminary. It is not servant leadership for me to say, well, I'm just the president, and I don't want anybody to notice me, and there's nothing that I can really do anyway, and 
I don't need to be presidential. What I need to be is a servant. So therefore, I need to mow the grass, and I need to visit the sick, and uh, I need to grade the papers, and I need to file all the paperwork on the students. I I need to do the tasks that really show uh, that I'm a servant. That is not servant leadership. Servant leadership is saying, no, I'm president. I've been given certain privileges and certain powers and certain authorities and certain position. I've been given these things, and now I have to make a choice. Will I use what I've been given to benefit myself, to make me look good, to make my life easier? Or will I use what I've been given for the benefit of others? In other words, will I own the position, the power, the authority, the position that I've been given, and will I use that for the benefit of others? That's what Jesus did. He had this attitude in himself. He, he saw who he was and what he had and that he was the only person in the universe who could accomplish something, but in order to do that, he would have to set aside everything that would focus on himself and make instead a decision to act to benefit others, and he did that. He did that by dying on the cross for us. Listen, servant leadership is somewhat about the actions that we take, but it's more about the attitude and the motives driving those actions. Are we really choosing to benefit others, to bless others, to lift others up, to make others' lives better by what we're doing in the roles we've been given? You know, sometimes it's possible to do something that might be perceived as a servant act, but to do it smugly, to do it to draw attention to ourselves, to do it with secret pride, to do it in a way that benefits us or really reflects back on us in some way that gives us the benefit of the service, not the person that supposedly was to receive it. But other times we can do acts of service that really are selfless, that really are designed to benefit and support and help other people. And in doing that, benefit them and lift them up and not so much what it means for us. Servant leadership is about actions. It's about doing things that benefit others. It's about sacrificing yourself for the good of others. It it is about actions, but it's more about attitude and motives. It's more about making those decisions to lift others up, to serve others, to benefit others, and to use what you've been given for their advantage. I think of just one example. A number of years ago, when Obamacare was first adopted, uh, the seminary, of course, had to make a major reevaluation of its insurance plans. And here in California, who was going to quali- qualify for subsidy or for assistance through the, uh, the state-sponsored websites and all of that. Well, in the context of that, um, our chief financial officer came into my office and said, I have a recommendation for you, and that is that you significantly change the benefit structure of the seminary and, in fact, eliminate some benefits for employees. And I said, we can't do that. He said, well, before you say no, look at this study. And he showed me that by eliminating a benefit and shifting some resources and sending some employees into the uh, Obamacare pool here in California, they would actually significantly benefit and have better benefits 
than they would have if we didn't do this. But there was one catch. There were a few employees, actually six, that were going to have to pay more money uh, for their insurance while the rest of the employees at the seminary were actually going to pay less. Well, I looked at the list, and at the top of that list of six I, I was my name, and then the other executive leaders and a couple of other people, and I thought, wow, I'm going to have to make a decision here. Will I benefit the most while at the same time penalizing myself and a few others, or will I leave things the way they are and all of us share the cost of having to pay more next year? Well, you know what was decided. It really wasn't that hard of a call. Of course, I made the decision to change the benefit structures. I pay more. I've been paying more all these years. Uh, some other employees here also pay more, and they understand the price that, that, that's a part of that. But the vast majority of employees all paid less and got more benefits because of it. That's just one example. When you're the leader, whether you're a president or a pastor or a director uh, whether you're a person in charge of a small ministry or a large ministry, you're going to be faced with decisions where your servant leadership is not based on you abandoning your post and doing some menial task, but your servant leadership is saying, no, I've been given authority, position, responsibility, influence, even resources. Now, servant leadership is not saying, I don't have those things. Servant leadership is saying, I do have those things. And now I'm responsible to use them for the benefit of others and not for myself. Servant leadership is about actions, yes, but it's more about the motive you have. Do you really love God? Do you really serve people? It's more about the attitude you have. Are you really focused on serving others instead of arrogantly gaining attention for yourself and if you want to say it this way, feathering your own nest with your leadership privileges and power. Servant leadership, Christian leadership, is about using what you've been given for the benefit of others. It is the best expression of what Jesus models for us when it says in the Bible, he emptied himself. But he emptied himself because he had the power and the privilege. And when he said, I'm going to set that aside, I'm going to use that, this power and privilege that I have, not to benefit myself, but I'm going to empty myself and use everything about my position to benefit others by dying for them. That's what servant leadership is about. It's about you and I as leaders saying, we have privilege, we have power, we have authority, we have influence, but we're not going to use that for ourselves. We're going to empty ourselves of all of that, not setting it aside and denying we have it, but emptying ourselves from it emptying all of it that is self-focused and instead say, I'm going to use everything I have to serve others, make their lives better, give them greater opportunity, and elevate them in the work they're trying to do. I challenge you this year, be a servant leader as you lead on.